He is the light of this dark world. Amen. Please open your the word of God to John chapter 3. One of the things that unites the children of God is that we all believe the scriptures and the words of Jesus. Amen. In this letter, we have seen signs. We have seen people asking for more signs. We have seen different reaction to the reactions to the sign. And as we study this letter, we'll see that signs or miracles are a big part of it. John writes in chapter 20, verse 30, he says, now Jesus did many other signs, many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31, but these, these, these are the ones, the ones that John wrote down. These are, these are here written down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And by telling and by believing, you may have life in his name. John has given us enough evidence to come to the conclusion that Jesus is who he claimed to be. If Jesus was in a court of law, if he was on trial, then according to the evidence that has been presented, he would be guilty. He would be found guilty of being the Christ, the Son of God. And we could see that. That what John is laying down here is the truths that line up with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. We know this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come through Jesus Christ. The old has passed. The new has come. The old temple is replaced by the risen Christ, the eternal temple. One must be born again, a new birth for a new creation. Water from Jacob's well will sustain life, but the living water that Christ supplies gives everlasting life. There is no longer a place to go worship God. His presence is with man through the Holy Spirit. We now worship him in spirit and in truth. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, before we go to chapter three, let's read what John wrote back in chapter two, verse 23. It ties into chapter three, as we will see. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and indeed no one to and, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So if you remember, the Jews, the religious leaders had demanded a sign from Jesus. Show us something that proves you have the authority to do what you have done in this temple. They were looking for a sign from heaven. They were not satisfied with the signs that Jesus had performed. He had done many signs. Many people had seen him do many things on this earth. So it really wasn't the, the lack of signs. The real problem was with the hearts of the people. Jesus had been doing miracles and signs and wonders. And, and the people that John is speaking of here in verse 23, the ones who, quote, believed in his name, they were just sign chasers. That's, that, that's all they were. They, they were not seeking Jesus, the Christ, or Jesus, the Son of God. No, they were, they were chasing signs. They believed. They believed that the miracles Jesus performed were real. They did. They were impressed by the signs. They even believed in his name, the word says. 
that, that's nice and all, but we have a problem here. The problem is that just knowing these things about Jesus did not save anyone. Recognizing that this man was able to do miracles did not bring about salvation. You see, Jesus is omniscient. He knew that the temporary excitement or faith based on signs was not, not sufficient for salvation. He knows the heart of man. We, we will see this later in the Gospels when, as we study through, but many of the earlier early followers turned back when Jesus did not take up the role of a political king. Jesus knew they were sign chasers. They had what you may call head knowledge and no heart knowledge. But listen to Jeremiah 17, 10. He says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So last week we studied about the omniscience of God. And here we see that not only does God know the heart of man, he knows the mind of man. He knows what he is thinking. For he himself knew what was in man. That is everything in all of humanity. Now, we must keep this in mind uh, when, when it comes to signs. You know, I told you last week that signs and wonders do not bring salvation. Salvation comes from the hearing of the word. Amen. And throughout this letter, John makes it clear that it's more than just believing in miracles for a person to be saved. But do not miss this point. Seeing the signs and believing in them is a great beginning for one who wants to know the truth. Anyone who saw Jesus perform those miracles should have wanted to know more about this man. The signs should have started their journey of wanting to know more about the one who performed these miracles. But most of them didn't. Why? Because Jesus tied his miracles to the truth of his message that he taught. He didn't do signs just to be doing signs. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? He feeds the 5,000. And after he did that, what was, what was the people's response? What did they want? They wanted to make him king. They wanted to make him an earthly king. They were, they were excited about that until he preached a sermon on the bread of life. It says that teaching was too hard for them. So what happened? Well, Captain Quinn, Quint would say it this way. 5,000 men ate of the bread, but only 11 ate of the bread of life. Thank you, brother. One got it. The signs, the signs are grace followed by truth. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, John 1.17. In grace, he fed the hungry. In truth, he taught the word. And how did the people respond? They wanted the physical food, but they did not want the spiritual truth. So they abandoned him. So anyone who had seen Jesus performing all of these signs should have investigated further. Many didn't. But the good news is here in chapter three, we have one who did. As a matter of fact, it was the signs that started Nicodemus's journey that eventually brought him to saving faith. And that brings us to chapter three. Follow along as I read. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, 
Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So if we go with the flow of this letter, we can see how verse 25 flows right into chapter 3. 25 said, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. How did chapter three start? Now there was a man. This is Nicodemus. God knows what is in man. And here we have a man who Jesus knew what was in him. And Jesus knew what his need was when he came to him. So let's talk about Nicodemus for a minute. What do we know about him? Well, his name is Greek. is is a Greek name. And it means victory of the people. And you guys are going to remember this forever. Watch. I'll be testing you later. But it means victory of people. The first part of his name, Nick, comes from Nike. You may have seen that on some clothing along in your life somewhere. But Nike means goddess of victory. It means victory. So from now on, when you hear the word Nicodemus, you will be going, Nick, Nike, Victory, victory of people. Yeah, I got it. So in six months, when I come to each and every one of you, you're going to tell me that Nicodemus means victory of the people. I don't know what good that does you, but now you know. (laughs) Sorry about wasting your time there. Listen, the first thing we notice about Nicodemus is that that he is a man seeking Jesus, right? He, He is a man desiring to know more about Jesus desiring to know more about his teachings, desiring to know more about God. Nicodemus was seeking Jesus. He went to him, he went to him during the nighttime. Now, does that have some special or deep secret that, that Nick came at night? That, you know, there's many, many suggestions out there trying to explain the, quote, at, at night visit, you know, Uh, Well, Nicodemus had darkness in his heart. He was a busy man, and this was his only free time. He didn't want anybody to see him. He didn't want anyone to interrupt them. He just wanted Jesus by himself. 
to himself. Well, well, here's where I ended my study. I ended on this point. All of the reasons given that I saw <clears throat> boils down to one point. We don't know for sure. <laughs> we don't. We don't know why he came at night. So you hear me say this all the time. We have to go with what we do know. And here's what we do know. Jesus went to Jesus at night because he was hungry. He was hungry for a deeper knowledge of the Lord. That's why he went. We know that. He went to Jesus at night to be taught. Nicodemus loved knowledge. He was a Pharisee. And he was also a ruler of the Jews, the word says. That means that Nicodemus was a leader and an educated man. He was one of about 6,000 Pharisees during that time. And the Pharisees are, are men who were set apart to maintain the ways of the Lord. That's, that's what they did. And he was respected as a teacher of Israel. It says that he was the teacher of Israel. And he served as a member of the Sanhedrin. So he carried significant religious, social, and political power. He was a big deal. He was an important man when it came to the Jewish community. So we have to ask, if Nicodemus was so educated, if he knew so much about the word of God, if he had committed his life, his life to knowing the word and to worshiping God, why did Nicodemus have to go to Jesus? Why did he have to go there? This is a man who has reached the absolute pinnacle of Judaism. He is the teacher of Israel. Why did he need to go to a Jewish carpenter to be taught? Here's why. You see, Nicodemus had all of these credentials, yes, but in his heart, he knows something's not right or something is missing. You see, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to salvation, I want you to think about this. Jesus levels the playing field at the foot of the cross. All that stuff does not matter at the foot of the cross. You can be the most religious person in the world. That may have been Nicodemus, but all of that means nothing at the foot of the cross. You may be the most educated, filthy rich, have it all going right for you on this earth. And none of that gives you any advantage when you stand at the foot of the cross. When you think about salvation, it's a level playing field. Nicodemus going to Jesus and asking about salvation has no more advantage than the Samaritan lady at the well. When it comes to the cross, we bring nothing but brokenness and a need for a savior. Anyone who comes to Jesus comes with a heart that desires to know and to worship God. And that's what Nicodemus had. In his heart, he was zealous for God. We see that in the way he lived. He wanted to know about God. He wanted to worship God. And he had observed and he had listened and he had come to the conclusion that Jesus had the answers to the questions that he had in his heart. Nicodemus had been doing all of this work for God. And in his heart, he knew there was more to know. There was more to know. He, he, his heart longed to understand what his brain could not. So he was following the light that God had given him. And it led him to Jesus. 
There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. He followed the light. Nicodemus believed in his heart that Jesus was empowered by God. He says, I know you are a teacher from God. I know that. He says, Rabbi, teacher. That's how he addressed, addressed Jesus. You are a teacher from God. Think about how powerful that statement is. Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. And he says to Jesus, teacher, you are a teacher from God. That's huge. Not many, if they are any, were better teachers than Nicodemus. And yet he goes to Jesus to get taught. Jesus has not been trained in their school. He, he's not a earthly card carrying Pharisee, no formal training. And yet Nicodemus was moved by the Savior's teaching and his words. At that moment, he didn't have a full grasp of what Jesus had taught and done, but he was seeking truth. He wanted to know. He understood that Jesus had more wisdom than anyone he had ever met on this earth. And, and you know, that's a truth for anyone hearing God's word today. You may not have a full grasp of everything that God is teaching. That's okay. None of us do. That's why we're here. That's why we study God's word all the time. We should continue. We, we, one thing we should be doing is to continue to seek after the truth. Follow after the light that God has given us, like Nicodemus did. That's the path that we are to take in life. Follow step by step the path that God has illuminated for us. And know this, the light that God has given, if followed, will lead anyone who in their heart wants to know the truth, to the truth. If you want to know the truth, you follow the light that God has given you, and it will lead to salvation. Follow that light. And then in life, apply the light. Follow the lighted path that is set before you. You won't go wrong. Amen? Be a victor like Nicodemus and seek. Now, Nicodemus is seeking truth because... His heart is full of fear and doubt. If he had been, if he had been totally, totally confident in his works and education, he would have never gone to see Jesus. He would have never, he would not have had a need for Jesus. So what does Nicodemus fear? He, he fears that he's not going to be in heaven. His fear is, is that he's not going to be resurrected to eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth. Nicodemus has been studying his entire life. He has been part of the temple worship most of his adult life. He teaches the scriptures to the people. But in his heart, he knows that none of that will bring him to the resurrection to eternal life with God Almighty. He had reached, like I said, the pinnacle of his religion. And has come to the conclusion that there's a piece of the puzzle missing for him. I'm thinking that Nicodemus may have reached that point that Paul had come to. If you remember, Paul was a Pharisee like Nicodemus. And he said in Philippians 3, if anybody has a mind to have confidence in the flesh, I do. And he listed out 
all his credentials, probably the same ones that Nicodemus had. And at the end of it all, he says, I count that all loss. He counts it all loss. Listen to what Paul said. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's what Nicodemus is looking for. He was looking for somewhere or someone to put his faith in. He was looking for that no-so hope that we have. He wanted to know what Paul had found in verse 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his blessing, becoming like him in his death, that by, by any means possible, I may attain what? the resurrection from the dead. Nicodemus was unsure about his resurrection from the dead. To be honest, this should be something every person should be seeking, to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. That's what Nicodemus wanted. He wanted to know that he knows that he is for sure part of the kingdom of God. That's what he wants. But instead, what he did know at this time was this, that he wasn't in the kingdom of God. In his heart, he knew he wasn't in the kingdom of God. So he goes to Jesus and he gets an answer. Verse two, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God for no one can do these signs that, unless, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him. How do you like that? We see our all-knowing God right here, right? What question did Nicodemus ask? He didn't. He made a statement. <laughs> but Jesus knew the heart, right? Jesus answered him. Jesus knew what was on the mind of this man. Jesus answered him. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We can only imagine the look on Nicodemus's face. You know, he's thinking earthly Jesus is preaching heavenly, you know. These two were, were on different levels in more ways than one. Jesus said, unless one is born from above, born again is also translated born from above. He says, you must be born from above in order to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus didn't pick up on that. He, he was not thinking from above. He, he was looking for something that man can do to be in the kingdom of God. His response in verse four, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Jesus speaks of being born from above. Nicodemus is focused on an act of man and not on an act of God. And that's been Nicodemus's problem for a long time as a Jew. As a Jewish leader, Nicodemus had been looking for a Messiah to come and free Israel from the bondage of Rome. They all wanted a political leader, like I said earlier. The Roman Empire was in control of the world at that time, and the Jews were subject to its laws and government. So when the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah, they wanted an earthly one. 
They longed for the time when the Messiah would come and set up his kingdom here on this earth. When the Jewish people would be chief among the nations and when their enemies would be destroyed. This is the type of kingdom they were looking for. So no wonder Nicodemus was confused when Jesus said that in order to enter this kingdom, a man must be born again, born from above. He could not get his mind around it. He's thinking earthly kingdom. You see, there has to be a spiritual transformation which takes a person out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God. It is spiritual and it is an act of God, not man. Colossians 1.13 says this. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Who delivered us? God did. It's an act of God that saves the people. It's an act of God that transfers people from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So Jesus is saying to all of us, just as the first birth is necessary for physical life, a second birth is necessary for divine life. In other words, Christ's kingdom can only be entered by those who have been changed. Only by those who have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Only by, only by those who where the old has passed away and the new has come. A new birth that comes from God. And I want to focus on that for a minute here. You know, we, we, we get caught up in, quote, being born again. And we end up being focused on man instead of God. Five times in these 10 verses, our Lord speaks of being born again or being born. And, and we are familiar with being born again. You know, in the Christian world, we use that all the time. Born again, born again. We've used it so much that we've turned it into a, a, an, an objective. Uh, we, we describe each other as born again Christians. How's that happen? If you're a Christian, you can't be born again. You, you, you're already born again. That's how you became a Christian. So you can't be born again Christian. Just me? No. Okay. All right. You know, that, that's how much we throw this word around. When you're born from above, that's it. You're a Christian. Okay. For decades, the church has, has called for people to be born again. We have told people they need to be born again, and we tell them how to be born again, steps to take, the path to follow, the prayer to pray in order to be born again. Books have been written on how to be born again. We, we gave out tracts based on this one verse, be born again, which is awesome, right? Telling people what Jesus told Nicodemus is great. You're telling someone about what Jesus said. That's good stuff. But just like when Jesus told Nicodemus that you had to be born again, it makes no sense to people. It made no sense to Nicodemus, and it doesn't today. It makes no sense to tell a lost person to go get born again. They're thinking earthly. Do you know who understands what being born again means? It's the ones who've been born again. We get it on this side of the cross. 
The very idea of being born again is completely alien to anything that a sinner could do. It makes no sense. So if we just use this text as a, as a springboard to share the gospel, we're missing the point that Jesus is making here. The whole point of the analogy of being born again is to demonstrate that Jesus is saying something has to happen to you that you can't do. You can't do it. A change has to happen to you and you can't contribute to it in any way at all. The analogy describes a spiritual reality to which the one born again makes no contribution. That's what Jesus wants Nicodemus to see. Like at a physical birth. But look at a physical birth. To the ones who have been born physically, what contributions did what 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 contribution did any of us make to our physical birth absolutely nothing we 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 what what did we have to do with it what did anyone do to make their birth happen absolutely nothing we made no contribution to our physical birth. We did not make it happen in any way, shape, or form. And that's why the Lord Jesus chooses this analogy. He wants the world to know that no one contributes anything to their spiritual birth. No, not nothing. The playing field's level at the foot of the cross. Spiritual birth is an act of God. Birth happens to us, not by us. Birth happens to us, not by us. And that's exactly what we have to see in this text. No one gives himself or herself physical life, and no one by any means gives himself or herself spiritual life. That's what Jesus is teaching here. It's not about what man does or what he brings to the table that causes anyone to be saved or causes one to be born again. Look at all the stuff that Nicodemus brought to the table. Jesus says, you know, yeah, that's good, but all of that contributes nothing to being born again. Look at Paul's, look at Paul, all of his credentials contributed nothing to his new life. It was an act of God that caused Paul to be born again. Spiritual birth. Regeneration, a new creation, is the work of God in salvation, and it is wholly a work of God. And that's why God gets the glory when someone is, quote, born again. We praise God for what he has done, not what the sinner has done. We praise the Lord. It has to always be about God. You know, when it comes to sharing the gospel, Instead of telling a lost world that they need to be born again, I think we would do better by beginning with what those little signs we see all over the place, all over the place say. It's simple as this. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. It, that's the point of this text. Jesus saves. God saves lost souls. And, and the problem that we have nowadays, a lot of times we put the sinner the center where God should be. 
And I believe we do that with good intentions, but we take away from the good news or, or we take away from the greatness of God when we add to the front end of the gospel. Let me explain. It's like this. The, the gospel message is not a message of turn before you burn. It's not a message of warnings. We've all said this with good intentions. If you do not trust in Jesus, if you do not put your faith in Jesus, if you do not believe in Jesus, then you will spend eternity in hell. Right? True. There's more to the story. It's not the gospel. The gospel message is not just a message of all the benefits that come with being a child of God. We don't just tell the lost and dying word about the peace we have, about the joy we have, about the love we have, because there's much more to the story. We have to tell the world what Jesus has done for humanity. That's the gospel message. Don't try to manipulate anyone into believing. We have to give them the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And let God do the work in the hearts of the people. We don't, we don't want anyone to, to have, quote, just fire insurance. We want salvation. We don't want anyone coming to church and say, well, I'm just here so I won't spend eternity in hell. That's not salvation. We don't want anyone to have a false idea of utopia. I'm here at church because Jesus is going to fix all my problems and give me peace. No. No, that's why we don't share the gospel that way. We have to tell them about Jesus, about who he is, about what he has done, about the love he has shown the world. We have to tell them the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God. Amen. So when one is born again, they come to church to worship Jesus for what he has done and for who he is because now they understand what born again means. Jesus saves. We come to Jesus with nothing but brokenness and a need for a savior because Jesus saves. We are sinners in need of forgiveness. It is Jesus that saves. Yes, we have to be born again, but God does all that because it is Jesus who saves. A lost soul does not have the mind of Christ, so it will take an act of God to bring them in. Look at your salvation. What did you do? It was all an act of God. No human Action in the flesh can give birth to the spirit. It is an act of God. And that's why we worship the one true living God. That's why we worship God Almighty. That's why we worship Jesus. Because on this side of being born again, we can clearly see that it was Jesus who loved us. We're not born again because we love Jesus. It doesn't happen that way. It's Jesus who saves it's all about God. Never miss that message in this beautiful love letter that God has given us. The gospel message. Here's a way to think about this, to show that it's all about God that does all this. The gospel message is, a, is irreducible complexity. It means that you can't take any part of it away. If you do, it's no longer the gospel. 
So I looked at salvation as made up of many elements. We had the matter of sovereign election and predestination. There's the reality of regeneration. There's the truth of conversion. We have justification. There's the element of sanctification. There's the truth of redemption. There are elements of faith and repentance. And all of these are all of these are aspects and components of the one great miracle of salvation. It is a miracle all done by God, it's not by us. So tell the world, Jesus saves. Jesus saves and then follow the light that he gives. If we take our focus off of Jesus and God, we destroy the message. It's as simple as this. If I take away the football from you guys out there playing after church, you look like a bunch of fools running around with no purpose out there. A lot of fake stuff. We don't want to be like that. We have to make sure that Jesus is always the center, the main focus of the gospel message. It's never about what man has done. And it's never about what man can do. Jesus saves. Verse six, that which is born in the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it's with everyone with who is born of the spirit born again is an act of god praise jesus for salvation that has come so you have to ask yourself today do i understand what born again means because if you don't make today the day come to jesus in your brokenness in your desiring to know christ looking for that savior for the forgiveness of sins because it is Jesus that saves. Amen? Amen. Brother?